Welcome back to the Coach and Kernan Show. It's July 5th. It's episode 12, and we are here with our resident experts. Uh, day after 4th of July Independence Day and our very own Kevin Kernan's birthday. Uh, guys, welcome back. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host with America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan. Um, we're here again with Sal Marinello, our resident expert on performance training and, and performance coaching. And we have Bull back with us again, one of the highest ranking scouting officials in, in, uh, in baseball, former professional player, former professional coach, former pro- or current professional scout. Guys, welcome back. Uh, good to have the resident experts back. We got a lot to talk about this week. Good to be back. Happy birthday, Kevin. Hey, appreciate it. It's uh, <clears throat> it's a good year. I'm 69 years old. <laughs> I was going to guess 21 again. Yep, yep. So, uh, Kevin, I want to lead off with you today. Uh, you know, last week you wrote a great article on Moneyball. As we know, 20 years ago last week, Michael Lewis and Billy Bean in Hollywood uh, brought us Moneyball Entertaining, uh, well-written book, entertaining movie, uh, we'll say but littered with Hollywood inaccuracies. Uh, you know, we've had the zealots now use the analytics, uh, the, that analytics movie as the Bible, and has led to a lot of misuse and abuse of it in the game of baseball today, rendering it in some cases unwatchable. Uh, and I don't want to use this as a total, you know, bitch fest on Moneyball and analytics. We all know how we feel on it. For, but uh, could you share with our audience a little bit on some of the inaccuracies, both uh, people in the movie um, you know, we talk about scouts, coaches, and how it's led to some of the misuse maybe in, in baseball today of analytics. Well, first of all, Art Howe was totally, uh, that was not Art Howe in the movie. That was all a made up and the, and the dialogue, um, the, the way they made Art look like a very sour, greedy, all for himself kind of person. You know, every movie needs a villain. That's all they did basically. Uh, and, and it was really a disservice to Art Howe, but there's also my biggest thing was the reason I wanted to write the article was every time I run into a nerd in baseball, they always tell me, Oh, I saw the movie Moneyball or I read the book or I did both. And it really changed my life. Well, you know, the, the movies, they haven't won anything. And, and the biggest inaccuracy besides the personal one was that they forgot about, you know, you know, uh, Hudson Mulder and Zito, the, the guys that, that, that made that team and Tejada, the MVP, and they were all signed by scouts, scouts that were, were lambasted throughout the movie. And and it's like they didn't exist. There was just, you know, uh, a, a, a guy who switched from catcher to first baseman suddenly turned his team into a, a playoff team. And the other major inaccuracy, now we got 20 years behind us because he embedded, Lewis embedded with the A's in 2002. That's how I thought of this because I always think about different stuff. This is stuff you're not going to read anywhere else but on Ball 9 or here, here talked about on co- coaching Kernan. Um, but I said, geez, it's been, uh, you know, I knew the movie came out uh, or the book came out in 2003. So turns out it was the 2002 season. 20 years later, what has it given us? It's given us, uh, it's destroyed the game on every level. And you, you'd have to read the article. I don't want to go through everything right now. But everywhere you look in baseball, it's destroyed because of Moneyball, which was, like you said, was a good book. But it really wasn't baseball, and and also let me let me point out let me point out the A's still haven't won anything, and now they're the worst team imaginable. Yeah, they're in a terrible situation with the t- city, um, the poor fans. Nobody goes to the games. Uh, this is what Moneyball has wrought. So stop with the garbage that Moneyball has been the be all save all of baseball. 
in many ways, it has ruined baseball. Well, I know in that movie, too, they had a, a scout, uh, Grady, who was kind of portrayed as, as a sour guy against the game. I mean, in, in your, your opinion or what you know of, of that situation or him, I mean, accurate, inaccurate? Um, uh, very inaccurate. He's uh <clears throat> extremely good scout that helped build a really good team uh, that did have a really nice run. And, you know, you mentioned the, the pitchers. Uh, you know, Hudson being a fifth round pick, that, that, that's a good scouting job. There were no analytics involved. He was a two-way player in college. Uh, we forgot Eric Chavez, a high school player from California. There were no analytics in that. That was scouting. Uh, Jason Giambi, who, who, who was a superstar, uh, another player acquired by scouting. Um, you know, they did use analytic data. Um, uh, their pitching coach, Rick Peterson, is uh, was a very progressive, very, very smart pitching guy who um, used a lot of data to help their guys become better. But um, you can't make it the sole reason that they went on that tremendous run that they went on, but they still have no rings. And you can't leave out the fact of all the scouting and say that the whole thing was built on signing Scott Hatterberg, a converted catcher, to a first baseman. He wasn't the reason that they, they went on that run. Right. And somebody had to develop him, too. I think player development got lost in that, too, with Ron Washington <clears throat> yeah. being one of the best infield coaches in the game, former yeah. manager. Yeah, they, uh, and they had a core of people in their player development for years. And they still develop their own talent. And that's why they, they get competitive um, because they still develop talent, you know, but it takes a longer time because of, you know, their financial restraints that they have. Yeah. Sal, you wanted to contribute something to this. Yeah, I just, you know, and, and it goes, it's going to dovetail into what we talk about later, but there's this concept of, of what's called the narrative fallacy. And basically it, it is this uh, process we go through to put, um, you know, put things in, a, in an order so that people can process it. And it happens all the time. I mean, it's done in my field of performance training and, you know, what people will call strength and conditioning. And sometimes it's done retrospectively. So you look back and see, oh, a team was successful and they try to piece together issues as to why. And really, that's not the case, but it's, it's the story that people want to hear and it's the story that makes it easier for people to understand. But most times that narrative, that narrative is incorrect. And so I think the narrative fa fallacy uh, really fits into what we've been talking about here with a lot of the things that are going on in baseball. Yeah, I think what we want to say here is question everything, <laughs> you know, not, not just what's going on in baseball, but, you know, look at everything the way it's done. And I want to add one little thing. That that article became, I think, uh, the second most read article that I've and the second most read article on Ball Nine. But I also got tons, and I mean tons, of responses from people in the game. I'm talking not just scouts, but coaches, players, ex-players reached out to me. A man, a couple of managers, and they all they all were saying, "Keep fighting the fight," because this 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 needs to be told. And again, it's a great movie, great book, entertaining, 
but don't make it the Bible of baseball because look where we are in baseball and we talk about it all the time. So I think we can transfer this to, to kids by do your research well, know who you're really uh, learning from and trial and error yourself. I think that's very important. I think we become a, um, and this is very important for kids. I think we become such a society chasing perfection that these kids, their parents won't let them for the most part fail. And um, you know, so, so, if you talk to, uh, and I did, I talked to all those guys through the years and, uh, um, you know, um, uh, Chavez was a great kid. He was, um, he was at Mount Carmel high and his mom actually worked in uh, the high school that my daughter went to. And my daughter was like friends with his mom and you know, how he became who he became. And of course now he's the mess hitting coach is a great story. Hard work, failing, moving forward, you're not going to find the answers by some magic formula. Yeah, no fair points. Bull, you wanted to add something? Yeah, just, um, uh, you know, off of what Sal and Kevin just said, uh, you know, it, it becomes almost a fictional uh, magic pill story as opposed to what the true thing is, is that uh, hard work, um, dedication, those were all thrown out the window that all those other players <laughs> did to become great. Um, you know, my, my brother played professional baseball as well, and his son got drafted out of high school and loved baseball, and they had a thing on their refrigerator that said if it was easy, anybody would be able to do it. Great word. Um, and, and my nephew understood that from a young age and he worked his behind off and he got drafted out of high school because he did. There are no magic pills. And we, we are trying to live in a magic pill world where we don't go out on the field and work and we think that sitting in front of an iPad is going to make you a better player. Yeah, I think you're, that's prevalent throughout our society. It's funny how baseball mirrors the world right now. I like it. I like all your points with that where, and, and I challenge our audience to even stuff that we say, question everything, do your own research. Um, I think you'll find that when you do that, you'll abandon the, the quote unquote Bibles and you'll, you'll, you'll find your own way as Kevin pointed out. Um, Sal, I wanted to move to you now. Uh, Tony LaRussa made a comment last week, looked like it came from above. And here's Tony LaRussa, a disciple of Billy Martin. I wonder what Billy Martin would think. We can talk about that in this this question, but made a comment about his players uh, being instructed not to run hard all the time due, due to potential injury. Now, these are professional athletes we're talking about here. Discuss with our audience now or share with them, you know, your thoughts on that, that comment and, and how we've become such maybe a fragile society of athletes today. Yeah, well, Dave, we've discussed it and I've been talking about it with my colleagues for probably 10 years or so, this concept of, of anti, being anti-fragile. And, um, and, and that's come as a response to the state we're in where things are so fragile that um, in an attempt or as a, we've had a result, as a result of people trying to come up with um, a plan to um, protect us against every possible uh, stimulus, we've gotten to the point where we have done the opposite of what we're trying to do. And we're too, we become fragile. 
you know, I have, I've had this discussion. There's a spectrum. Fragile, everyone knows what it is. A very little mishandling causes it to break. And then in the middle of the spectrum, we'd have robust, where some, uh, some stimulus that might be rough and tumble would not damage you. And then you have the concept of anti-fragile, where you can come up with unusual uh, stimulus and uh, unusual circumstances, and not only doesn't it damage you, but you could be stronger from it. And, you know, our body goes through that during the typical process of exercise. You break your body down in a way that it comes back and it's stronger. This is oversimplification, but that's just to understand the concept. And now what we've seen in baseball, Dave, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, is players are getting hurt just from doing the things that are fundamental to the sport, running the bases, throwing the baseball, swinging the bat. You know, it's not like football where you can have the perfect tackle but land on the ground funny or have someone land on you or you land in someone that causes the injury. We're talking about, you know, I, Matt, Matt Scherzer's uh, injury sticks in my mind, throws the ball, grabs his side, you know, on a regular pitch. Uh, the, uh, the Dodgers uh, reliever who tore his ACL, watching that whole sequence, again, like Machado's leaving first base and, uh, I'm sorry, running to first base where every step he takes – is improper and it culminates with his rolling his ankle, that pitcher stepping off the mound to feel the ball. When you watch that, you have to look at it a couple of times because he's just so out of control. It's hard to figure out exactly which leg it is until you see him, you know, finally grab the one leg that he tore the ACL of. So that's what we have. And again, it goes back to my case. We've said, I think on the first show, you have to throw out everything that's being done to train and condition athletes and start back from scratch. Those are great points. But, but what are you seeing out there? You're, you're out there day to day. Um, you see a lot of pre-games. I know we've, we've chatted as you're, you're watching uh, guys work out. What's the difference between the way the guys work out, let's say, just before games as opposed to how they did it uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago and how they're doing it now? I think Bull's on 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 mute. We're uh, yes, on some- hey, hang on. I'm I'm off. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, they don't. They just don't work as hard doing baseball things on the field as they did years ago. They um, they don't take infield every day. Um, they don't take batting practice every day. They spend a lot of time in the gym. Uh, the teams go and lift. Uh, if they don't have a facility to use at their home facility, which now almost everybody has all that, their, their time is spent in the weight room. It's not spent doing uh, baseball movements. And uh, Sal points it out so much. Um, it's, it's not working, you know, and like we've said before, it's the definition of insanity. We keep doing the same thing and we, we have the same results and they're not good results. We have more players on the disabled list than we've ever had. Um, I did see infield yesterday for the first time this year. So. <laughs> hey, it's only July. It's only July 4th. Yeah. I guess it's only on special holidays. <laughs> so. Well, you know, and it goes back to the concept of uh, that Will hit it, uh, Bull hit it perfectly. Uh, that it is the lack of specificity. You know, it's not specific to your task, which is why these guys are getting hurt. Nothing in the weight room is specific to baseball. 
you know, we could go into the details of, of the throwing motion and prove that. Um, but let's leave it at that point for now. We could have that as a discussion later. Nothing that you do swinging the bat or throwing the ball or running the bases is close to something you do in the weight room as it is currently constituted. Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, well, that gets us. I'm sorry to cut you off there, Bull, but that gets us to the point that I, I want to make clear. The people who run teams don't know what they're doing. And yeah. it, it's happening over and over again. And every every GM is following the same because they don't know much about it. They're Ivy League guys. You know, they visited a weight room here and there, but they don't know anything about it. They don't take the time to talk to people like Sal. And what are they doing? They just... Oh, and then they, and what do they always talk? This is what used to frustrate me like heck when I was a writer. Oh, we're going to get to the bottom of this and we're going to get rid of injuries. No, you've made them worse. All right. You've made them worse. Nobody calls you on it. The media has failed miserably in this area and, uh, and, 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 and it just keeps getting worse and worse. And, uh, that's why I, I can't, I can't stress this enough for young players. Do a lot of running. Just, you know, we, we talked to Rob Dibble about this. They don't run anymore, and that's a big problem. But also, make sure you try to run properly, like Sal said, uh, because Machado was a disaster waiting to happen. He comes back from the injury. They don't because he's the superstar. They don't put him on the IL. They go into a funk. He can't hit, and all of a sudden, team is a mess because of running improperly to first base. But nobody will write that. Nobody will say that. Their announcers won't say it on TV. But that's what happened. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll point this out. Uh, my roommate for my first three years was the guy that broke Lou Gehrig's, uh, consecutive game record. Um, he wasn't a weightlifter. He was a baseball player. Um, when he got out for batting practice, he ran sprints, stretched, got his arm loose. He took a hundred ground balls off of a fungo every day. Um, and then he took bat balls off the bat for a whole group, uh, took his batting practice properly, went in, cooled off, didn't need a full course meal, <laughs> um, came back out, played pepper, uh, ran 10 sprints, was sweating like a pig when the game started and went out and played every day for, I don't know, close to 3000 <laughs> games or whatever. <laughs> So um, that See, worked. Why would, why, why would they follow that? They wouldn't follow that routine. Let's follow yeah. a routine where a guy goes in a weight room, you know, acts like a meathead, and then gets hurt, and he's always hurt. And, right. and, and one of the things that Sal said that really sticks out to me time and time again when as I watch games, these guys are coming back from injuries, and they come back all the time. Because I think it's Sal, uh, Sal says, like, uh, if, if the be best prediction of future injury is past injury. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, just from a scouting standpoint, Derek Jeter did those things and he copied off Cal Ripken and, and, and you know, A-Rod did those things. Like all those guys copied off of Cal Ripken and those guys predominantly stayed healthy their whole careers. So here's, they, here's the million dollar question. Why would Major League Baseball not take somebody like Cal and put him in the middle of what's going on right now and I, change the course of action? Unbelievably good question. I ask that all the time, why their study committees don't have 
Cal Ripken and Ted Simmons and all the other guys who love baseball that are in the game, that want to be in the game, they're not in any of these study committees. These study committees are run by Theo Epstein, who played his last game at age 12 in Little League. Yeah, no, I thought they're all, all good good points. And, you know, I, I look forward to going to a baseball game and seeing more of what you saw yesterday. Ball infield practice, uh, base running in the outfield, pitchers running poles, people taking the pregame serious in preparation for the game. So that's part of the game, and it, it should always be. Yeah. So Dave, one, one quick point, too. Yeah. My, uh, my, uh, my oldest son took his kids to a game the other day, Sunday, and he was disappointed because they had no batting practice. And I told them, I said, because they, they were in the home run zone, so they didn't get a chance. And I said, and this is a tip, a pro tip here for all, all families. If you want to see batting practice, don't go to a Sunday game. They gave that yeah. up years ago. Um, unfortunately, when I covered the Padres, they always had BP on Sundays for the most part. Sometimes they would cut it back, but they don't work anymore at what they do, their job is. And they and the other thing is we've given them convenient excuses like, well, it's a long year. We don't want them to get hurt, blah, blah, blah. Going back to all the anti-fragile thing that Sal says, I, I think – I would say, Bull, that uh, probably Cal Ripken probably took BP almost every day, unless, unless and he probably changed his stance a lot, too. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and uh, I had the pleasure to scout him later on, and he used to come out early at 2 o'clock, and uh, his thing he used to try to do was uh, hit off of the tee and uh, hit balls off of the left center field and right center field fence during BP or during tee work. He'd be, he'd be the only person in the ballpark doing this. And this was, you know, 15 years into his career because that was his key to being a good hitter, was hitting the ball hard from gap to gap. No, we don't see that enough anymore, too, a lot of teamwork. That's a great tip for kids. Listen yeah. to that one again, kids. Yeah. yeah definitely. But we've got a – you know, Jeff Fry's got a new new T coming out there, Roto Systems USA. So I think T-Work's lost as well. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. you brought that point up, and, and Kevin did for the kids. Yeah. Always go back to the basics, get back to that T work. Without um, a doubt. But I want to get with you on some of this showcase scouting now. Um, we're seeing all these money makers. It's a billion dollar industry out there. All Almost like the theme of what we're talking about, people think it's the magic pill. Uh, it's the, you know, the, the only pipeline to playing college or professional baseball. And we know the numbers. I mean, less than 1% of players that are playing baseball actually get a shot to play in college. You can imagine the number of someone who gets to make money doing it. So uh, in taking a look at that in your position, you know, I kind of playing off Jeff Fry had a tweet last week about catchers pop times at these perfect game events. What are you seeing out there with these showcase events um, from the scouting to the apparatuses they use? I mean, how does that work into your world? Well, when I first started scouting in the early 90s, um, we didn't go to showcases. Showcases were for lazy people. It was a conglomeration of bodies to look at, and hopefully you saw somebody that could play. You went out and you found players playing in baseball games. So, um, But we've, we, we've gotten so far that toothpaste is out of the tube and there are so many showcases that do showcase kids well, but the people that do the evaluating uh, in most cases are not very good. 
they give false information on running times. They give false information on the pop times is ridiculous. And just a side story, I worked with a pitcher um, over last weekend, and the guy who caught was a good-looking young 14-year-old catcher who the guy who brought him there told me had just thrown 185 to 19 in a showcase. And uh, I said, oh, wow. <laughs> And so when we got done with the pitcher throwing, uh, he threw some, and he was between 215 and 225, which is fine. He's 14. Um, he had a little bit of arm strength. He stood straight up, and which slows your pop time down, and gave him a couple little pointers. And I said, you're fine. Uh, just so you know, the best throwing time I've had this year is 189. And that's inclu that's including in the big leagues. So uh, most guys are around one nine five to two oh five right now. Because let me, jump in here. let me jump in here, Bulker. You said something that really got me going here. You notice something and fix something. Yeah. You, you coach something. You're oh, not yeah. just there to read metrics. And I'm not, you know, I, I, believe me, I don't have a big problem to showcases and stuff like that, only because it gets people involved in the game and things like that. My problem is with the major league teams and the development now, a lot of the nerds, they're out there with all these fancy machines measuring something, but nobody stops that catcher and says, you're standing straight up, let's do this to improve your pop time. That's what baseball development people do, and that's what's stop, stopping the game from being the great game it can be. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the 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 you know, the the throwing times for a catcher, you know, uh what you're working off of um from a big league standpoint is um you want your pitcher to be under 1.3 seconds and you want your catcher to be under 2 seconds. It gives you a pretty good chance of throwing a runner out who steals bases. Now, our game has walked away from stolen bases, so there's not as much of an importance put on that. And with guys on one knee basically laying down back there, that's the re another reason why the throwing times have become so poor. Um, you, know, you know, catchers who catch with both their feet underneath of them come out, stay low. Um, you know, the, those guys threw – you know, guys like Pudge Rodriguez and the 178s and 175s and things like that, Yadier Molina in his prime. Um, but, you know, it's it, it's all based on timing, and that timing's been there for forever. I played with a guy in, in the minor leagues that would steal 75, 80 bases. He was barely an average runner professionally, but he worked off of pitchers that were slow, catchers that couldn't throw. And that was back in the 70s. You know, there were no analytic data for that stuff. There were no videos. There was nothing. He was watching the game and goes, oh, I can steal on this guy all day long. Then you pick a breaking ball. The breaking ball's in the dirt. You're safe. It's easy. What um, were some of the things he, what were some of the tips that you picked up from him that you may be able to share with, with some of our kids and families in the audience that made know, him a great base dealer? You know, the thing he did, he studied pitchers. You know, pitchers are creatures of habit. Um, you know, uh, guys work off of trying to have uh, timing and rhythm in their delivery. You know, they come set 1,001, 1,000, you know, 
oh, okay, shoot, this guy does this every time. So like me as a pitching coach, I would teach, you're going to have to change. You know, you can't have the same rhythm every time. Otherwise, people are going to time you up. They're going to get walking leads. We ne- we're never going to have a chance to throw guys out. So, um, you know, there's there's so much involved in that. You know, catchers, uh, you know, the other thing was uh, guessing breaking ball pitches. It's harder for a catcher to throw a runner out on a breaking ball that's breaking and moving. His body's got to move out of staying on line, going towards second base, too. Um uh, just, uh, you know, just really it, it, it comes down to studying and seeing, okay, this guy is between 1-3 and 1-4. This catcher's over 2. If I get a good lead and I time him up, I'm going to get a really good jump here and be able to steal the base. Those are great. Sal, you wanted to add something? Yeah, just uh, piggybacking on, on Bull's point, so much of that, motion that the catchers need to be able to master and display and um, in order to get out of their crouch and make the throw is, is relate back to their mobility and, and true strength that is not measured in the weight room, but is measured in their range of motion and how quickly they can move. And, you know, like Bull said, when you watch these guys in all these non-traditional positions, it looks cool and it may help in certain aspects I don't think it does, but it may. And then it just makes it that much more difficult to get out and throw some someone or do anything. You know, this whole concept of framing, that all comes from, you know, the, the guys ultimately don't move well back there. And they're, I watch it all the time, and it's so blatant they're trying it's to all, do. Sal, not to interrupt you, but that's all data-driven. So, you know, they don't care about <clears throat> blocking the ball. They don't care about um, – being able to throw a runner out who's stealing bases. And I, I will tell you with the, some of the new rules in the minor leagues, stolen bases are way up. They're, you know, they're kind of forcing it into the game, which is probably going to be a good thing. We'll have maybe some more athletic players like we grew up watching, guys who could run the bases and steal bases. That is an exciting part of the game. But the catchers have no chance. They, they don't block the ball well. They have no mobility. Um, you know, it's almost like they're sitting on a, like a little lounge chair back there. <laughs> and, yeah, and even, even when they do throw, I remember, you know, for as much as Thurman Munson was a great player, my high school coach would kill us uh, or, you know, the catchers if we tried to throw sidearm um, yeah. because of the nature of what that does and you're not stepping right and all the things that happen. And I, I, m- most times I see that. Now, that's how guys throw. And, again, I believe uh, the throwing motion has been negatively impacted by the weight room. If you yeah. read, you know, what you need to do to throw and what you're doing in the weight room with these upper body bodybuilding lifts, it's totally at odds with what you need to do on the field. Right, right. That was a great point. Kevin, on a strategic standpoint, what do you think Billy Martin would, would – would how would he feel about today's game? Well, he'd, uh, he'd, he, 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 he wouldn't like it. He'd be getting in fights. <clears throat> Excuse me. He'd be getting in fights with people because – but he would take advantage of it to be truthful. Billy would – Billy Ball would be back in vogue. And that's the amazing thing. And I just sat back listening to, to, to Ball and Sal talk about this stuff. And what was running through my head was, uh, uh, you know, 
why aren't teams taking advantage of this? Well, Billy Martin would be taking advantage of this. He'd be running left and right. He'd be, he'd be, um, while, you know, we see it all the time anyway, but he'd be moving his runners home. He, he'd probably have the guys at third take bigger leads. So when the ball does skip away a little bit more, you can get home. You don't see any of that creative energy anymore. Nobody's taking a bigger lead. They're just doing the same old league. And, and we saw uh, two weeks ago or, or so with Glaber, poor Glaber hurt himself taking the lead off third base because they don't take the aggressive lead. And he was trying to take an aggressive lead. Getting back to the they don't work at it. So Billy Martin would take total advantage of this, um, and that's what happened. See, Bull made a very good point there that you know these the GMs and the guys in charge, and 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 not to pick on Theo, but he's like the guy now. You know, he's in charge of all this stuff. Um, they're making the decisions that run baseball. In the past, the managers by their strategy would make the decisions that ran baseball. Whether it was a Billy Martin what Casey Stingle would do, platooning with the things that he did. So it's all been taken out of their hands. Ironically, I will leave it with this, teams like the Mets, and I think the Yankees have given Aaron Boone a little more power again this year. Those teams are playing well because they're letting the guys in the front, in the, in the foxhole, so to speak, make decisions and see how the game is being played out and then play off those decisions. No, fair point. Bull, you wanted to add something. No, it, it, it comes back to, uh, <clears throat> I would say, the modern-day media and the general managers all read Moneyball, and they all live by the Bible of the analytics. And, uh, well, you know, we don't want to give up an out, you know. Oh, well, let's not give up an out by stealing a base or a sacrifice bunt. Yet our approach at the plate where we strike out 40% of the time, you're giving up a lot of outs where you don't even put the ball in play with an opportunity. So like, these are the common sense questions that I always want to ask. Well, you don't want to give out, give up an out, but you watch your team strike out 14 times a night, every night you're giving up half of your outs every night. And you're not. No, great. Sal, you wanted to add to it? Uh, No, I think that was basically a bull covered. We covered all that. Okay. Yeah, and you're um, not, the other thing is, though, you're not only giving up an out, though, but it's really hit the height of absurdity in extra innings. I watched a couple games this week where teams refused to move the runner from second to third. It went beyond the 10th inning, and the announcers are all saying, well, you know, if you're the visiting team, you got to go for two. No, you don't. Get the one run and get the lead, and then maybe command the pitches and maybe win the game. So, uh, again, it's 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 – Everything is being pretty much being done wrong on a major level. And we and I'm saving this. We haven't even gotten to the triple play of the White Sox. No, I know. We will. We will. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Yes, that's going to be your, your, your rant at the end here. I'm saving that one. So, um, you know, in, in regards to we talked about a little bit of the showcase stuff. And full disclosure, I, I, everybody knows on the show, I, you know, former professional player, former college coach, but I also went back late in life to get a second degree, a, uh, an advanced degree in analytics, partially because when I was sitting at the table with the liberal arts, Ivy League uh, guys who never played, my thoughts and advice on this stuff, my questioning of the Bible, quote unquote, I never got a voice. So I went back and jest and got my advanced degree in analytics just to show them that a former pro ball player, former coach uh, could learn this stuff on their own without the half a million dollar price tag on it. Um, 
that mommy and daddy pay for. So um, I do have that background. And I kind of ask you guys this question. I, I thought about this. I got asked this question the other day. With looking at analytics, are there good numbers that tell good stories that I would want to add to the current state? And I hate adding to it because there's there's so many already. Uh, but I'm wondering what you guys are thinking. But I would love to see an analytic regard regarding productive outs, moving a runner over at second base with no outs, you know, hitting behind a runner, sacrifice flies, sacrifice punts, putting a formula together that tells a story about the production of outs because um, that seems to be, a, I guess, a, a taboo with analytics. They don't want to give up outs. That's why they don't sacrifice bunt, but they also have no problem striking out. So it, it, that would be my favorite number if I was to try to move the game back and swing the pendulum back, productive outs. Are, are there any ones out there that maybe Bull, you see, or Kevin or Sal that that uh, the kids or the audience should should pay attention to? Um, yeah, or- I, you know, that that's a great one there. Um, our organization does track what they call team plate appearances. And um, I, I, I don't work on our player development side, but I hope it is a formula that, grades players out well and and gives them credit for that. Um, You know, you know, that's the other thing, you know, I mean, that's going down a rabbit hole here, but, you know, if we paid players for being good hitters, not just power hitters, then maybe the game would change a little bit too, because people are always chasing dollars. uh, Players are. So, um, you know, first pitch strikes, uh, Three up, three down innings, you know, those kind of things are are gold, you know, because if you have starters that have three up, three down innings and they, they don't have a lot of stress, which Sal could go into, you know, that stressful innings are what cause arm injuries. You know, when you can minimize your pitches, stop trying to strike every hitter out. You know, uh, you, your, your strive as a starter should be to complete a game, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, that was always my theory as a young pitcher. I, I wanted to finish what I started. I think also you should – they have numbers out there now that they can use. They're good numbers. They just don't yeah. use them. Yeah. Uh, runners in scoring position, you hear it all the time. But just for fun, look at the box scores on all these losing yeah. teams. What yeah. do you see? 1 for 12, 0 for 7, yeah. 0 for 4. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. So, so there are a lot of good analytics out there. To yeah. just not use properly, and also by taking away the manager from the thought process, because the manager now is just a—he's the guy that serves you your food, basically. The food is prepared in the back; it's delivered to the manager, and he just brings it out to the table. He has nothing to do with it anymore. So right. they don't listen to the manager, who knows who. Hey, you know uh, Escobar had two productive outs in this game. That's really good. Or, or I heard what. What uh, Buck Walter said about Nimmo the other day, uh, you know, Nimmo is a guy you can count on being the same guy every uh, every every day, every at-bat. And he had a home run in that game, a three-run homer. And the funny thing was he almost lapped the guys that were on base in front of him. So that tells you a lot, too. Well, well I was watching the Yankee game the other day, and, I, I you know, a senior moment, I forgot whether it was uh, – it was one of the, uh, the their newer acquisitions. He was I thought it was either Gallo or Rizzo. I, and I might be still wrong. That they had mentioned the guy had only three sacrifice flies in his entire career. Joey Gallo. Which, Joey it Gallo. Was Gallo. Which to me is, I mean, and I know, Kevin, you've always said it. You watch how these guys swing. 
you know, when you need a fly ball and they're still trying to, you know, hit a home run or they're still trying to do things that they're not, you know, that they don't need to do. To me, that's mind blowing for a guy that plays the way he plays to have three career sacrifice flies. It sounds impossible. Well, the nerds wanted him. The nerds got him. And luckily, the scouts have saved the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's no question. It's it's the one track swing. But Ed Bull, you you brought up the point. It's like dealing with small children. All the parents in the audience will relate to this. Some we love to think they do what we emphasize, but at the end they'll do what we tolerate, and that's what ball players are doing now. We tolerate strikeouts, we tolerate home runs, we tolerate bad defense, we tolerate bad base running, which we saw last night. Kevin, I know you're chomping at the bit to hit on this, but um, hate to keep banging on the White Sox. But I mean, what it did. It, it, Discuss with our audience kind of what you saw last night with, uh, you know, as we moved from our clubhouse to the dugout. I know that's bothering you. Um, yeah, kind of riff it, on it that. really isn't bothering me anymore because I think it's great that these guys are getting embarrassed. And um, I, I kind of looking forward to what what bad base running. And, and I'll just I'll just keep this the base running. Um, in case you didn't know, there was a pretty well hit fly ball, but you could tell that Buxton, the center fielder, was tracking it well. And I could tell that from TV thousands of miles away. And the guy on second base, Engel, who happened to be a pinch runner, by the way, pinch runner, um, he takes off. He's thinking, I, I, I heard his um, excuse. And again, it's a good thing I wasn't in the clubhouse because I probably would ask some questions would have got me in trouble. But he said, yeah, I saw his head move like towards the wall. I thought he was going to play the ball off the wall. You know what? What, what are you looking ahead and all that other stuff? Why, why are you not watching the ball? And you're in second base. You're right there. It's right there in front of you. So he takes off. And then Mancato, I think, was at first base. He takes off. Buxton catches the ball, and he's getting ready to throw it in hard in case they're tagging up. And, and, and lo and behold, they're already off the base. And he would have scored anyway. He could have walked home from second base if Buxton didn't catch it. So – what do we see there? We see 10, 10 things wrong. Um, bad base running, bad reader to play, bad understanding of the game. Um, and then, then you know, they went to third. Uh, they threw the ball in, and the guy at first should have had time to get back, but he basically stopped between first and second. Like, what's going on? Are we playing baseball, or am I going out to dinner now? What's going on? So, so everything was wrong, and the irony of ironies, of course, is this is the team – and this is Tony Lavusa, and this is the team that said we got a lot of guys hurt, so we don't want them to sprint. Well, look at this. Look what you've done, and 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 you watch any game, you'll see this. Yandy Diaz yesterday, he he ran his first base, little pop fly hit down the right field line. The three uh, fielders converge, um, and this gets me to a big point I want to say with kids. He's in. He he's doing one good thing. He's anticipating. So he takes a nice lead around. He, he, he takes a hard turn at first, but he doesn't anticipate somebody coming in from behind. So, and it, so there was a fielder. I think it was the pitcher came in from behind, and he's, he's thrown out at first base, totally embarrassed. Again, just embarrass these guys. MLB Network should have the embarrassing play of the day. It, it would be a good hit. People would watch it, and maybe these players would stop running around like, uh, you know, jackalopes on the bases. I would be embarrassed as a youth coach watching that. And, and Bull, just kind of with the audience, going back to the White Sox situation, first and second, no outs, 
a, a right-handed hitter up. The fly ball was tailing away from, from Buxton. I think it was a tie like, game, too. I think it was a tie yeah. game. Yeah, I mean, knowing score and, and, and situation. Talk to our, our kids and parents in the audience and coaches. What should those runners have been doing on impact? Now, no outs, first and second. And, and again, this could have been what I go back to with my point. That would have been a great productive out right there. Could have been yeah. close to a triple play. You know, the, the, the runner at first is staring right at it. He's probably off the base where he can get back and tag if it's caught. And if it drops, he's going to at least be at third base, maybe further if it hits off the wall and ricochets away. Same thing with the runner at second base. The, the, the play is right there in front of you to watch and see. Um, and as the play, as the ball gets closer, your instincts have to uh, – it's amazing how many times I sit at games and I go, it's down, run, or where are you going? <laughs> because – they just don't pay attention to that. They don't work on those things. They don't talk to the players about that kind of stuff. Base running, defense, cutoffs and relays, uh, rundowns, uh, you know, the first and third play. Pe people basically just give away the base now. Um, they don't even try to throw them out. Uh, rundowns are horrendous in most cases because they don't work on those things. So. Um, and Dave, you did mention something and I wanted to, well, I'm thinking of it about how we settle. I don't know if you still have the 17 inches thing that I sent you. I do. Maybe you could post that on the website for people to read. And we're going to have, uh, Mark Wiley on soon who played for John Scalinas in college and he can go into depth as to how good of a fundamental baseball man John Scalinas was. No, consider it done. I'll post that for our audience today yeah. along with the show. Yeah. That's that's great points. Uh, Kevin, any, anything else on on that that you're seeing out there that, that you want to hit our audience on as we're coming to a close? Well, I, I, want, I want the players uh, to take it on their own now. The players need to need to fight back and be, be better, uh, better players than than the uh, front office and, and the uh, and the nerds are allowing them to be. It's up to them now. I'm no longer giving players excuse on anything. So I'm in stop excuse mode. And perfect example, and Bull said it right there. I bet you, and again, this is not stuff. I'm not just saying this stuff because I'm, I want to bloviate. No, I saw all this through the years. I saw players through the years doing batting practice be at second base, the hitter would hit a drive and they would emulate the fact it would be caught or it wouldn't be caught. You know, I saw, um, you know, center fielder. I remember um, um, a great tip I got about fielding fly balls. Here's a great tip for everyone. And I'll leave you with this. If you're an outfielder and your dad's taking you out to hit, Right. Well, first of all, you can do it with a tennis racket if your dad's a, 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 is uncoordinating, can't hit. Have him hit tennis balls to you. But second of all, the first thing, or your friends, stand in your position, take 15 balls off the bat, and don't go after them. Stand there and put your eyes where you think that ball is going to land, and then, then, uh, uh, then after 15 of those. 
then you start chasing them. So now you're doing your, your leg work, but you've already in reality gotten 30 fly balls in without with only doing 15 because you're training your eyes to take you where that ball's hit off the bat. So this is that's why I say it's all on the players now. That Adam Engel at second base should have realized that Buxton's pretty good outfielder. He's going to run that down. But, uh, you know, everybody – and I must have read I, – because I was checking this out for research today. I read about 15 – I didn't read the whole stories, but I, I read about 15 accounts of this. And everybody said, oh, miracle triple play, this triple play. Nobody criticized the base runners. It's not a miracle play. It's a dopey triple play because the base runners are dopes. And, and that's what I would have written if I was there. And, uh, again, the – Part of this, and we, we started earlier about this, part of this is the media's fault. They don't tell the – they're not telling you what's really happening in these games. And, and they're, they, you know, they're, they're tweeting or they got their – eye you know, they're, they're reliving a money ball moment in their life, and uh, they're not telling you how this happened. And the worst part is some of them, or I would say a lot of them, don't even realize what happened. So they don't know what's going on in the game. So it's up to the players to really understand the game themselves and do the best that they can do. I think you're right on the media that the announcers of the game, the color people, they're enabling the behavior anywhere from bad base running to bat flips, um, all oh. the stuff that we, we well, can't I stand. Want to say one thing, Dave, one, yeah, yeah, I want to say one thing about announcers because we've all been there. And again, a lot of these announcers now are under the gun, totally different than when you and I grew up watching baseball where guys could just say what they wanted to say. Pretty much these announcers have been told, I know for a fact, that they can't criticize the home team that much. Uh, yeah, I will share that I've talked to some big league guys who, uh, when they're critical of analytic moves, they get texts during the game from yep. the general manager. Yep. Um, and that is not good. And uh, um, one anecdotal thing on the base running, Kevin, uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, watching the Indians double-A team, and they had a, a manager there who I really liked to work. They worked hard every day. His father was the field coordinator for the Phillies who got let go because he was a baseball guy. Um, but he, this guy knew how to develop talent um, on, on the base running front. During They took BP and infield every day. And I saw him stop batting practice when runners – were jerking around on their base running things and make sure that they got secondary leads on every pitch and make sure that they broke on every pitch. Well, they swept the series that I watched against the first place team in the other division. Every ball that hit the dirt, they advanced safely standing up because they worked at it. They ended up winning the Eastern League Championship. He's either in the big leagues coaching now or in AAA managing, and he was like the guy that you write down the name and say, if this guy's ever available, hire him. Wow. Uh, yeah, that, that says it all. And the uh, I know a few years ago when I was with the Mets, the Mets base running was so poor that Ruben Amaro took them base to base at Chase Field. They didn't have batting practice one day. This was under Mickey Calloway. And he took, he took them base to base, the whole team. You know, I think even the pitchers, because back then the pitchers hit. Yeah. Um, and he took them base to base, what you should do at each position. And and, and that's what teams need to do with their mind. But again, if the guys in charge don't realize this, it's going to slip through the cracks. Yeah. 
That's it. Who are Kevin? Real quick, as we get to a close, give give the the audience a couple of players that they should watch. Guys that could fight back, not just with their voice, but with their performance on the right way to play. Uh, nowadays, or well, Nemo, I already mentioned one. Watch Nemo. Watch how yeah. Nemo plays. You know, I yeah. think he's he's. And you don't have to take that many. Every team has one. Watch. Uh, I'm glad Sal brought up his name. And I was able to uh, get that going about Joey Gallo. But watch because he mentioned Rizzo. Watch how Rizzo plays. Rizzo's a great base runner. Rizzo, um, he plays first base wonderfully. Um, he makes that play behind the bat. All first basemen, and I was a first baseman, should learn from him because he's so good at getting behind the bag and out of the way of the runner. I saw a play uh, at Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers, and I, I know Chris Woodward well. He was, he was a player. He's the manager there. They must have his hands tied. That's all I can say. Because the things I saw that the Rangers did against the Mets here, there was a strikeout. Getting back to Sal's point about one knee, ball gets away, not too far away, but the catcher is trying to make the throw, but he's got a crossfire across the base run. Instead of throwing it to the inside of the bag, he throws it across the bag. The first baseman gets the alligator arms because he doesn't want to get run into, and he doesn't. He's not. He's not an agile as a Rizzo, and the ball goes into right field. It's Pete Alonso running, so it's not a speedster. He goes to second base. And then uh, the Mets get a three-run rally uh, that inning with Nimmo getting the big hit, I believe it was. I don't know who got the big hit. But the point is they screwed up five things, basically, on a strikeout. That's how bad the game is. So so you'll see who the good ones are. Watch them play. As for a good catcher, uh, Trevino from the Yankees does a pretty good job. Yeah. George, George Springer is always fun to watch play the yeah. game, too. Yes, uh, uh, you know, he he got on my radar, if you remember, Bull, back when he was in the in the uh, College World Series. He made a diving catch, I believe, and that's when I and then I started talking to people in the game. And hey, you gonna draft him? Oh no, no, he's not. Bup, bup, bup. Look where he is. And, and I and I heard through the grapevine, and my grapevine is pretty solid that uh, Lunau did not like having him on the team. Oh no, he uh, he thought he was a horrible first round pick and. Uh, they, you know, and he basically won that World Series. Think of the big hits he got. Uh, that's right. Big hits don't matter. People don't. Uh, it's all a luck. The, the, that two-run homer he hit in extra innings in L.A., that was right. luck. Yeah, total luck. And uh, it's a crapshoot. And that's get, let's uh, tying a bow on this. Uh, I had somebody from the A's uh, reach out to me after I wrote my Moneyball column. They loved the column. And they love the fact that uh, Billy still hasn't won. And they pointed out to me that Billy always wanted to highlight the regular season. because Bill, And Billy's a good baseball. You know, he knows baseball. But Billy Billy thought the playoffs, the postseason, was a total uh, total luck. Yep, crapshoot. So, so that's why they've won one playoff series since Moneyball came out. One. That's right. Well, Kevin, great, great article last week on Moneyball and another great one this week uh, on the background of the movie, The Natural. Uh, that's a great read. So our audience, please check out Kevin on Ball Nine. Uh, check out that article. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, follow Kevin on Twitter too, AMBS, AMBS underscore Kernan. Uh, check out a couple of the friends of our show. Jeff, Jeff Fry right now is working with a T, batting T, Roto System USA. We talked about the importance of batting tees with Cal Ripken's development and pregame work. And also Dan O'Dowd, friend of the show with Win Reality, new virtual reality hitting system. A lot of the major league clubs are using it. Looks like it has some traction. So 
Please support not just us, but the friends of the show. Guys, great show again. I look forward to having Mike Brown on tomorrow, umpires. He'll be he'll be uh, talking to us remote from Cooperstown, New York, site of the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's doing some umpiring up there. Wonderful, wonderful uh, story. He's going to give us some insight into modern-day umpiring and, and uh, how he came up the ladder. So, guys, thanks again for the show. Awesome job today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.